African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Welcome, welcome to our program. You are listening to Channel Africa right here on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us on DSTV on Channel 8802 on the audio book, okay, thank you to our friends and our family on the African continent who listen to us uh, and also our Pan-African family from outside the continent who stream us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, on the program today, we look at the Egyptian elections President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi is running virtually unopposed in this week's elections. Today marks the first, third and last day of the presidential race. And they started uh, since on Monday. Today is the last day. President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi is running against just one other candidate, Musa Mustafa Musa, after several others quit the race. That's also questionable. Now, the opposition has blamed Sisi's government for squeezing potential rivals through what they say as a strategy of intimidation. But Sisi has denied the accusation. This is the country's third presidential election since former leader Hosni Mubarak was ousted in the Arab Spring protests of 2011. It was hoped the toppling of a dictator who had ruled for nearly 30 years would bring a new era of democracy in the Middle East's most populous country. Instead, the country has still been seen to be thrown in further political turmoil. Well, to unpack this is research at Afro Middle East Center. Joining us once again, Ibrahim Dean on the line. We also have Timothy Caldas from the Tahrir Institute for Middle East Policy. And Dr. Shingai Mutuzo Mangiza is joining us back on our program in the second week in a row. And he's a research fellow at the Politics Department at the University of of the Western Cape. Well, let me start with you, Ibrahim. Thank you for joining us. It's been a while chatting to you about Middle East uh, uh, area, geographical issues. But uh, what are your thoughts about these elections? Uh, as I mentioned in our intro, we're seeing the dominance of President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi running against Musa Mustafa Musa. But it seems like that the current president will still have his dominance even in these elections. I mean, yes. I mean, you know, as a, as a person who follows this, it's, you know, it, it's, it's not about whether or not he will win. It's not even by what margin will he win. It's more about the amount, the, the turnout in the vote. Um, and so, so the big issue in this election specifically is about turnout because, you know, of the threats and intimidation met out towards opposition and because of the, you know, the candidate Mustafa, um, Musa Mustafa Mosa, who was, uh, I mean, a week prior to him, announcing his candidature, he was actually getting signatures for CC. Uh, so, you know, we all know the candidate or the, you know, the second candidate has just put, been put there in a sense to try and legitimize the vote. So it's all about how many people buy into this. And, you know, in light of this, there's been lots of threats in terms of voter, uh, you know, voter turnout and also, in a sense, an artificial increase in, the, you know, or in the numbers from the Egyptian authorities. Um, and so, yes, we do know it's, it's basically similar to many other countries where there's, a, you know, one person standing as president and it's, in a sense, a referendum on his presidency. 
Does that make uh, these uh, elections legitimate, Ibrahim? I mean, I think it's 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 not necessarily, uh, you know, the, the crackdown in that show that there isn't uh, uh, any, not even formal democracy, no substantive democracy, and you know that this election is just a veneer behind which uh, you know the 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 deep state still continues con- to control Egyptian politics. Well, do you agree, Timothy, on what Ibrahim has started saying? We know that uh, the low turnout of the elections uh, can be uh, a monitoring stick in terms of us making a judgment on the confidence uh, that the people of Egypt have in uh, uh, the process in itself. Well, I agree that, uh, I mean, that the election is in no way democratic. Uh, I wouldn't even call it an election. I mean... The population doesn't get the opportunity to choose who will lead the country. Um, turnout has definitely been the main focus, uh, as we already all know the results of the election. Ultimately, uh, so far, anecdotally, mm-hmm. uh, many journalists have uh, reported the seeing pretty low turnout figures. Um, the the national uh, election agency has been insisting that a lot of people are flocking to the polls. And I mean, the, the trouble is, it's very difficult to verify this. This is a uh, vote that's been spread out over three days. There's very limited independent observers. Um, and so to have any sort of accurate monitoring to compare uh, independent figures uh, against uh, the claims of the government after the election will be very difficult. And so as a result, whatever they claim the turnout is, we won't be able to determine whether or not that's true. And Dr. Mutuzwa Mangiza, thank you for joining us once again on our program. But let's look at historically in terms of uh, the political backdrop of um, Egypt in itself. Uh, There was a lot of excitement, especially after the Arab Spring protests of 2011. A lot of people thinking that that was an awakening of a democratic environment within uh, Egypt. But it seems like that things have been actually turned upside down with the leadership of President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. Can you take us through of the man himself, President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, what kind of a president he has been and what kind of tactics he's utilized in his reign? Thank you, Benjamin. Um, President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi uh, presented himself initially uh, in 2014 as a reformer. Uh, among the key things that he promised was to improve security, uh, particularly in regards to terror, terrorism and violence. Uh, he had promised to increase uh, living standards uh, amongst a whole raft of uh, other things. Um, however, I suspect that the situation as it has unfolded has uh, rather precluded him from achieving a lot of these, um, uh, a lot of these uh, objectives that he initially stated. Uh, if you can remember, at the time of the Arab Spring, uh, one of the biggest cries was against corruption, uh, the perceived corruption that, you know, was uh, seen to be uh, endemic or deeply entrenched in the Mubarak state. Um, so he had promised uh, that he would deal, that there would be a clean-up of, of, the, of the government. Um, but upon assuming power, I think uh, his, his key challenge is that, one, first of all, uh, Egypt has been heavily reliant uh, on Gulf states in terms of its financial support. So his ability to sort of resolve some of the most contentious 
or uh, deep-seated uh, economic issues has been rather uh, problematic. So on, the, on, on that one side, that, that has been the big issue. Uh, on the other side, in as far as his uh, governing style, uh, I think we should not forget that he is a former military man, and one of the biggest, uh, I think, misconceptions for us to have is to assume that uh, even though there was this revolution in 2011, that the regime, so to speak, uh, I think it was reference was made to the deep state, the military apparatus, uh, that that was also similarly dismantled. I think... Um, once the regime, the tired regime of Mohamed Morsi uh, had proven uh, or had proved to be not what people had expected, uh, I think it was that provided the perfect pretext for the army to step in with Mohammed, um, with President uh, Fatah al-Sisi uh, at the helm. So I think he's very much uh, position, been a person who has positioned himself uh, as you know, somewhat of a savior, but uh, given the current economic uh, downturn that Egypt is facing, uh, he has not been able to, I think, fulfill many of the promises that he, that he had made you know, upon his ascension to power. Well, let's take a quick break. That sets the context of uh, the elections that we're talking about that are, are still underway in uh, Egypt. Uh, today is the last day. And if you're just joining us, we have guests uh, that are joining us uh, on the line. Ibrahim Dean is a researcher at the Afro-Middle East Center. Timothy Kildes from the Tahrir Institute for the Middle East Policy. Dr. Shingai Mutuzo Mangiza is a research fellow at the Politics Department uh, from the University of the Western Cape. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back continuing with our guests on this uh, big discussion on uh, the current elections in Egypt. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective... Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Channel Africa, definitely giving you the African perspective, something we're not shy about, giving you things from the voice of Africans themselves and also those from the Pan-African family. We are looking at Egypt today and looking at uh, the current political situations and what these particular elections mean uh, for the country. Already we've affirmed the fact that there have been some problems and dynamics that have actually uh, minimized the worth and the credibility of these particular elections. Coming to you, Timothy, I'm interested in the particular fact that uh, uh, what uh, Dr. Mutuzwa Mangiza was highlighting uh, before our break, the fact that uh, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, the current president, did project himself as a reformist of sorts uh, during and after uh, the protests of 2011, which had a significant historical moment and uh, momentum uh, for um, Egypt itself. But then we saw that image actually uh, really, really deteriorating during his rule. Yeah, I mean, Sisi said a lot of things uh, uh between the coup in 2013 and now, 
uh, after the coup initially, he said that he had no intention to run for president and didn't allow for history to say that uh, the Egyptian military uh, acts in, in favor of personal interest. Obviously, a year later, he had changed his mind. Um, I think, I mean, to be fair, there have been a lot of reforms under Sisi. The economy has been, uh, <clears throat> has been uh, undergoing a, a, a lot of shocks, actually. Subsidies have been reduced for energy. Uh, the pound was floated. Um, the, uh, the country has been borrowing extensively to strengthen its hard currency reserves. Uh, there's a lot of mega projects underway. We can debate the, uh, the value of those policies, uh, but uh, there has been a lot of change. Where, where there hasn't been change or where there's been change for the worse is politically. Um, the scale of repression under CC is some of the worst we've seen in a generation. Uh, NGOs have been closed. Many activists have been banned from travel or thrown in prison. There's tens of thousands of political prisoners in Egypt. Um, and uh, the press has basically been forced into being uh, a mouthpiece for the government, whether or not the, the outlet is technically independent or not. Um, so the access to information for the population has been quite limited. Um, and despite that environment, CC's popularity still declines because of the economic issues that uh, the other guests have cited um, purchasing power of Egyptians has collapsed. Uh, the cost of living is skyrocketing. Uh, there's a lot of hardship that most people are going through right now. Hmm. Uh, Abraham, let me bring you into that characterization of uh, uh, the leader of uh, Egypt right now. What, are, what is your take of him? I mean, I think he's... Uh uh, you know, we, we were very concerned about the system, as he said, in, in 2013 when we knew he had a military background. And, you know, uh, the fact that he, he came to power on this very popular, uh, you know, popular notion and tried to call himself a reformer. But, I mean, as, you, as, as somebody said, the only thing that's changed, in a sense, is the economic condition has gotten worse. Mm. Uh, you know, um, and so he seems to be someone who has become increasingly paranoid. You know, in 2013, 2014, 2015, even to past 2016, you know, there was some dissent that was tolerated. Whereas now, any any hint of a dissent, you know, uh, is, is, is actually cracked down on. Uh, you know, your people like your Samia Nand, your Khalid Aliz, your um, um, uh, Ahmed Shafiqs, those were people who previously supported him in 2013, 2014. I mean, Shafiq and Anand, uh, you know, former military men, um, and so, you know, he's actually, basically the repression has intensified and anyone who he thinks may or he perceives as being a threat to him has actually been cracked down on. So he's actually, you know, become increasingly paranoid, increasingly power hungry. And, you know, we most likely will see him in the next four years uh, uh, change the constitution to allow him to run for another four years. Well, that's interesting uh, to see that. And... Uh because then we'll see uh, a vacuum in terms of uh, progress uh, from a socioeconomic perspective, Dr. Shingai Mutuzo Mangiza, if we still see the dominance of um, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. Am I correct to make that assumption, looking at the record that both uh, our other guests, Ibrahim Dean and Tim- Timothy Calders, have outlined? Yes, um, I would be inclined to agree with that. Um, on the economic front, certainly he has made uh, a significant number of changes. Uh, in 2015, uh, 2016, sorry, uh, they signed up, they got a loan for $12 billion, uh from the IMF to the World Bank. 
This was uh, supposed to facilitate infrastructure development uh, as well as to also kind of um, facilitate the growth of small to medium uh, enterprises. So on the economic front, I do agree with uh, Timothy and uh, Ibrahim to the extent that there has been some progress there. On the political front, uh, there is definitely uh, a bit of a gap, um, vacuum. And I, in particular, uh, also identify uh, another issue, I think, that has also been of uh, great concern, I think, to the broader uh, Egyptian population, and that is most recently the the seeding of sovereignty over the islands of uh, Tehran and Tanafir. This, uh, you know, as you know, has been a very contentious uh, issue given the the history of these islands. I mean, these islands, uh, if you look historically to the wars of uh, 1973, uh, even, you know, uh, even in the early war, 1967, uh, these islands had always been of strategic interest. Um, so, the fact that these islands were, you know, were ceded, there's been a sense that, um, you know, this has been a further blow to the international prestige, as it were, I think, uh, of Egypt in the sense that you would actually seize sovereignty. And that, um, so I think on the political front, you know, certainly there's been, that's one of the other issues. I think that uh, the Egyptian citizens have, um, have uh, been angry about, in addition to, of course, the curtailing of public space and the crackdown on dissent. Um, what we are likely to see, possibly, again, an intensification of this sort of crackdown on dissent. Um, I would not put it past them uh, to also tamper, I suppose, with the Constitution to add uh, a third term, as it were. Um, so I think the prospects, at least politically, at the moment, are, are rather bleak. But um, I think it's also important to take into account that, uh, you know, given the broader security situation within the region, uh, with ISIL in the, um, in the Sinai region, uh, you know, the securitization, should I say, of public sure, space, sure. I think it's going to remain something of, uh, something of the future. Yeah. What is bizarre, staying with you, uh, Dr. Mutuzo Mangiza, is uh, the man himself who's meant to be an opposition to uh, Abdel Fattah al-Sisa, Musa Mustafa Musa, who's actually endorsed uh, um, al-Sisi for a third term. Then why run for elections? Or, I mean, the second term. Why then run for elections if you have an endorsement uh, for your contender or the opposition? Very bizarre. Well, I think quite simply, since the other candidates uh, were forced out, uh, these candidates being Khaled Ali, uh, Sami Anan, and Ahmed Sheikh, uh, I think given that they probably would have posed a very real sense of opposition to uh, Sisi, uh, him running an election alone would hardly seem credible. And so to give it a veneer of legitimacy, I think... Uh, it was probably, you know, decided, and I'm just speculating here, that uh, Mustafa Musa would assume that role, uh, as it were, as being, uh, uh, you know, the, the opposing, you know, the opposition figure to Sisi's rule. So I think that's how we can really, uh, you know, we can understand it, you know, really just looking at it as an attempt to sort of legitimize an otherwise uh, non-competitive electoral process.
Well, uh, let me come to you, uh, Timothy. Your thoughts, th- those contradictions? Well, I think that um, <clears throat> I agree that the uh, the purpose of bringing this supplementation at the last minute was uh, to give the election of the mayor of legitimacy, although not a very convincing one. Uh, he forgot to remove from his personal Facebook profile uh, images uh, endorsing TC's re-election uh, before he announced that he was going to run. Um, so it's very clear that he's not a serious candidate, although he is adamant that he's not a puppet, as he's repeatedly said. Um, but even he has admitted that everyone around him assumed that the uh, the election has long been settled in TC's favor. Uh, it, it's funny, one time he was doing an interview on a different TV, and the anchor was asking him if his family was mad at him for spending $20 million of his own, $20 million in different pounds of his own money to campaign when he was definitely going to lose. And uh, she kept insisting that it was, there was still time for him to drop out and, and not waste his family's money. Um, I mean, so the whole thing is very obviously a shot to everybody in that respect. Nobody seriously thinks that Moose has a chance of winning. Most people don't even know who he is. Um, but it's just a formality. And there are there have been reports that, the, that Secretary Tillerson had to ask uh, CC to make sure somebody was on the ballot just to give this some sort of veneer of legitimacy. Um. Ibrahim, I want to take this conversation a little bit forward in terms of uh, looking at um, Egypt's space uh, within the context of Africa and the Middle East and how is it positioned as a country and how important is it uh, for it to flourish and for it to have at least some form of um, credible process even in its governance that's not what we're seeing currently. But how important is Egypt in the development of Africa and also the Middle East? I mean, I think we just have to look at its size and its geographical location. You know, a population of 90 million, the largest Arab you know, country. So. Uh, you know, one of the largest countries, I think, uh, um, second largest population-wise in Africa. You know, um, basically the strongest military in both Africa and the Middle East, you know, barring you, I mean... South Africa to an extent, and so it's very important for it to, to 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 at least have a space wherein it will develop. And this is what's the problem with this this, this cracking down on dissent, is it's actually taking away a very you know like very important institutions and very important also industries and professionals that you know could help this country or this giant in a sense flourish. Uh, basically, they're moving away, moving abroad. Either you know there's tens of thousands sitting in jail. There's another couple of thousand sitting in Turkey. Um, and there's, uh, you know, Egypt uh, in terms of refugees to the rest of the continent, specifically the Middle East. And and so what we're seeing now in Egypt is we're seeing this, you know, uh, yes, there's the IMF subsidies, which is supposedly uh, reforming the economy, moving it away from state subsidies. But for it to move away from state subsidies and not no longer be dependent on the state, you need a professional class. Sure. What's happening is this professional class is being arrested or being forced away. So we're seeing, you know, we're seeing Egypt, uh, you know, a country that's one of the top five uh, founders of the EU, actually being so involved in one, two things. One is, you know, trying to secure, um, basically to try and crack down in the sense of trying to consolidate its control of itself, of the domestic situation. And two, Egypt, for example, in Africa is playing a very counter, uh, you know, very negative role in in Libya. And so, you know, specifically because of its own domestic situation, because it it feels that, you know, Libyan Islamists pose an existential threat to the uh, you know the country. So, it's 
it's it's one not being able to play a very positive role or not being able to play a role and the role that it's playing is actually a role that is actually inhibiting democracy inhibiting popular participation both you know on on the african continent and on the west asian middle eastern side of things you know where it's participating for example in the war in yemen participating on the blockade of, of Qatar, um you know uh, has now decided to support the Assad regime in syria so it's it's you know, the, the securitization is actually leading, so, so. leading to a security approach rather than a developmental approach. Well, that's the voice there of Ibrahim Dean, researcher at the Afro-Middle East Centre. Uh, Timothy Keldas also joins us on the line from the Tahrir Institute for the Middle East Policy. And Dr. Shingai Mutuzo Mangiza is also with us, joining us from the Politics Department at the University of the Western Cape. Well, we'll wrap it up after uh, this uh, break, uh, uh, maybe making projections into could we see any form of intervention? Seems like we've never really seen a strong intervention, whether it's from the West whether it's from an African Union perspective. Seems there's a silence when it comes to Egypt. I wonder why. Maybe we'll ask that after our break. Hi. On the 28th of March, Channel Africa will be hosting a seminar on the media and human rights for people with albinism in Africa. The theme of the seminar shall be People with Albinism Have Human Rights Too. The Albinism Report, The Enlightened Narrative, a program that demystifies myths, mysticism, and superstitions on albinism, whilst highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. For your comment on the rights of people with albinism, visit our social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, on YouTube, Channel Africa Radio, and on our website, www.channelafrica.org. The Albinism Report. The Enlightened Narrative on Channel Africa from an African Perspective. Channel Africa, thank you for joining us uh, in our Johannesburg studios broadcasting into sub-Saharan Africa on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa. I remember we also on DSTV on channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Uh, if you're listening to us in South Africa, we are in some uh, SADC countries. If you can access that particular uh, service of uh, DSTV, that's channel 802 on the audio Okay. If you're not finding us on those platforms, remember we're on www.channelafrica.co.za where you can stream us live each day. Remember, we don't only broadcast in English, we've also other languages uh, uh, that are really, really sharp. So you can actually get that programming later in the day. Well, let's come back to today's uh, program and try to see uh, what's going on in Egypt. A lot is going on, but a lot is not going on. And uh, what is not going on, uh, Dr. Shingai, is the fact that uh, when it comes to mediation and seeing some form of uh, intervention with the situation in Egypt, there's a lot of silence from outside parties. Yes. In regards to the response of the global community, I think we are living in a very interesting time. Uh, of course, you'll be aware that in the United States, you've had, uh, you, you know, the, United, the U.S. citizens have elected Donald Trump, and um, he has positioned the U.S. with an American first sort of policy. And at his very first address at the UN, he asserted that he would not seek to intervene directly uh, in the affairs of um, 
of foreign of uh, other countries. So I think from that ex- from that perspective, we are probably going to see less of an interventionist uh, approach, at least from the United States. But I think it's also important to remember that um, you know, looking at what's happening with Russia in terms of its own uh, its own activities. I mean, the sort of democratic. Uh, regression, if you will. If you also want to look at the the rise of China, which is also averse to uh, inter, you know direct intervention uh, in foreign countries, I think you'll see that right now there's a less of an appetite. I think to get directly involved in in foreign countries. I think the exception, of course, having been Syria, but again, that was also quite um, that is also still a point of uh, contention among a number of countries. So. I think for any um, any prospects of an intervention in um, in Egypt at this point, I think the general feeling is that things haven't quite uh, descended to the level of uh, civil strife or chaos, at least um, in comparison to Syria. So I think to that extent, there will not really be an you know an uh, an interest intervening. As for the African Union side. I think, um, despite uh, its also its stated claims that it would want to, you know, through its uh, charter, to to intervene in circumstances where there's uh, any threat to democracy and the um, and natural use of force. I again, it comes back down to Egypt's position as a military power. Uh, it being the strongest military power, I think, within the continent. I think. That within itself would also be actively, you know, discourage African Union countries uh, from getting involved. But just to conclude, I think generally speaking, um, not since the days of Abdel Gamal Nasser have we really seen that sort of uh, engagement uh, by Egypt with the African continent. I mean, with Anwar Sadat, they were obviously the uh, the focuses on the Cape David, uh, the Accords and the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian question. And um, I think with uh, the immediate former president, uh, Hosni Mubarak, it was really about um, the consolidation of the, of the state and power and also positioning itself uh, as a stronger character within the Arab League. So I think from the African Union side, there's been a bit of a disengagement, you'd say. And um, so I think to that extent, we cannot really expect mm-hmm. any involvement. Ibrahim, that's worrying, isn't it? It's very worrying. You know, it's, uh, I mean, there is, there's two things. There's this tendency no longer to intervene for two reasons. One is, you know, Egypt is a very powerful country. There's a very strong military. And two is uh, the whole ISIS uh, issue. You know, Egypt is one of the, uh, at the forefront of combating ISIS in the Sinai, the Wilayati Sinai. Um, and so, you know, countries uh, such as your U.S., such as your EU, have actually had to, you know, temper their criticisms. You know, prior to Trump, for example, Obama was quite critical, but had to temper it because of ISIS, uh, because ISIS, Egypt is one of these key allies in the fight against ISIS. Trump, you know, it's changed, and the Trump, Trump has become a lot more assertive. Similarly, Macron went to visit Egypt this, this, this past year, and also, again, focus on ISIS rather than rights. I think, you know, in terms of the future and in terms of mediation, I think, you know, what is significant is the fact that we had two candidates 
Shafiq and Annan, both from the military or previously from the military, you know, wanting to run against against CCA. So it does show that there is some discontent within the military ranks. You know, whether or not this discontent will actually lead to a situation where we can start seeing a weakening of the military, maybe, you know, the military or that faction within the military signing, you know, entering into an agreement with some of the opposition forces, that's probably the only hope you can have because, you know, the only real other intervention in Egypt has actually been the backing of Egypt from the Gulf. Uh, because, you know, your UAE, your Saudi Arabia actually are fearful of the Brotherhood, are fearful of ISIS, and, uh, you know, and so have decided to, you know, pump lots of money into Egypt to try and use Egypt as a bulwark against these, these threats before it gets to their shores. Well, uh, let's wrap it up then. I'm going to take one quick break and maybe say... Um when we come back, we can look at the future of Egypt, maybe try to make some form of projections into what trends we could see moving forward. We'll wrap it up after this. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, let's wrap it up with our fantastic guests giving us their insights and uh, political analysis on uh, the situation in Egypt. Ibrahim, let me start with you as, as we wrap it up. The future, what does it present for Egypt? It currently looks very bleak. <laughs> I mean, we all have to be positive and hope for uh, some change for the better, but it just seems as if uh, the crackdown is wider, stronger, deeper, and uh, and there's no space for any dissent. Well, that is a sad uh, projection there, Dr. Shingai. Yes, I have to concur with uh, Ibn's assessment. I think certainly very bleak, um, and we're basically seeing... Uh, suppression, I think, of popular forces and progressive forces to a scale that we have never witnessed before. So unless there is some, uh, you know, again, unless, you know, the dissension within the military, uh, you know, is significant enough, you know, I don't see that the situation will, will change any time, at least not in the near future. Timothy, can you give us a bit of hope, just a bit? Uh, thank you. <laughs> Sorry? Do you have a bit of hope? I think that... Uh, <laughs> I don't have much to offer in terms of optimism. I think that uh, realistically, uh, there's a real chance that the crackdown uh, will actually expand after the election. Um, there was the expulsion of a, of a British journalist uh, just recently, and uh, a lot of very troubling statements from the general prosecutor about the press and uh, saying that some of them are aligned with the forces of evil. So I worry that they're getting ready to go further after this. Um, beyond that, Cease will almost certainly amend the Constitution to extend the uh, his uh, time in office, um, and Egypt's borrowing a lot of money right now uh, for a lot of different projects, and if they don't find a way to get the economy uh, growing at a pretty substantial pace and sustain that, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of trouble going forward in, in settling those debts and uh, <clears throat> remaining solvent, and they still have to do a lot of work mm-hmm. in terms of improving the purchasing power of the population. 
Well, thank you, gents, for giving us your time. We really appreciate it for giving us your insights. Uh, not a good outlook in terms of what's happening in Egypt, but we appreciate Ibrahim Dean, research at the Afro Middle East Center, always making time for Channel Africa. Thank you for giving us your time. Timothy Caldas from the Tarir Institute for Middle East Policy, who's joining us for the first time. It's been great speaking to you, Timothy. And thanks to Dr. Shingai Mutuzo Mangiza, who's a research fellow at the Politics Department at the University of the Western Cape. Dr. Shingai, thank you for coming back again on our show. Thank you, gents. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much.